Hello, Benji. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's uh, not many people care that it's been like a fortnight since we've last done this because in the crazy world of podcasting, it just feels like another week. But I'm good. I'm getting a roadmap out of the lockdown. Other things that will end up not making much sense, whatever time giving people listen to this. How about yourself? Well, look, to be honest, man, um, this has been a rough couple of weeks. Just listening to Cold Chamber and going into that world, it hasn't been good. I'm not I'm not lying. It's, this isn't for theatre. Like, if you're at this podcast, we said it before, but you're not coming here for really good music reviews. But this one has made me dig down and really have some big philosophical questions so i might go i might go on some like tangents today but you sent me a really nice voice message you'll you'll want to send voice messages and i love it yeah that's my legacy voice messages when i die if everyone just sends voice messages for it you know and thinks of me that that's all i can ask for okay but you sent a really nice one just saying hey man it's really great to hang out with you virtually um, you you said hanging out with me is like going on a school trip or a field trip or an excursion oh, or something yeah. along those it, lines. It was it was hanging out and doing stuff with you. It feels like fuck Reese. We're going on holiday with Reese, and it's like that kind as gushy as it sounds. It's that joy of when you're in school and you can see you're, you're there the last day before a summer holidays. You, you get excited because the posters and pictures are coming down off the classroom wall. <laughs> it's yep. that one last time you for, for fucking some reason. And then I discovered it's to help cleaners out, to, you know, ease their job. You put the chairs on the yep. tables and it's like carpets get cleaned. They do. They do. And it's that feeling of, oh man, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. But now you're talking about, you know, how deep and philosophical we're going to get of all bands, Cold Chamber. I thought we were going to save that for maybe System. Um, now it's kind of like, hey, you know I said we were going to go to Disneyland? No, I'm taking you to the dentist and then the hairdresser ad infinitum. I'm going to try and keep it light and bubbly. I don't feel in control of this show. Like, looking at the rundown I've put together, it's just me vomiting, just going, what? what is this band? What is their sound? Why were they popular, really? And why did I like them is always the, the main question at the end of the day. But I want to start with, it's really nice, especially two males, to be just genuinely nice and give each other compliments. Yeah. And I want to say, I, I, I really do love doing this podcast with you. It may not come through on this episode because even though I picked this album, I was just like, fucking Benji. God damn this guy. <laughs> I used to run for enjoyment to music and podcasts I love. Now I'm just running along to big truck. Do, 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 do. So, so uh, to all the listeners out there, the sexual tension that normally occurs between me and Reese in previous episodes might be replaced with philosophical and ideological tension. You have been warned. Yeah, I can't promise anything on this episode except that I do have an intro for you. Uh, it, it's a little bit different, um, but bear with me. Today on Butchio Death Trip, we are talking about LA band Cold Chamber. Well, more specifically, their debut self-titled album released on February 11th, 1997 on Roadrunner Records. Now, usually I ramble and mumble and stumble my way through these introductions, but not today. I'm changing tact. I'm going a different route. I want to kind of cut open my chest and ex express my feelings to you, the, the loyal but cheer death trip listener. 
And or if this is your first episode, thank you so much. You're about to witness history. I've decided to write a, a, a poem. Granted, yes, an acrostic poem. A poem about Cold Chamber. So allow me just to jump behind the piano here. All right, here we go. Cold Chamber by the Hyperactive One from the Bacio Death Trip podcast. <clears throat> C is for cool big riffs. O is for oh my god, how the fuck did they get Ozzy Osbourne to do guest vocals on a track, Shock the Monkey? Granted, not on this album, on the next album, Chamber Music. A is for AMV Hell 3, the motion picture using Shock the Monkey on their soundtrack. L, well, of course, L is for Loco, because what else could it be, really? One of the only times where a singer says go and I don't automatically cringe. C is for Chala Ray Harper, who replaced Naja, who later replaced Chala, who replaced Naja, who replaced Raina. H is for horrible cover art. That chamber music job is so bad. Open that CD up, look at the inlay. It is not good. A is for Al Jorgensen from Ministry, appearing on the Cold Chamber track Suffer in Silence. M is for Managed by Sharon Osbourne. Oh, that, I get it now. That's how they got Ozzy on a track. B is for Big Truck, and the time my band covered it, uh, and for some fucking dumb reason, I had two snares. I'm sure we'll get to that later in the podcast, but yeah, it's not my proudest moment. E is for exclusive bonus track Worst Enemy, only being available through purchasing their 2015 album Rivals at Best Buy. Because, you know what, nothing says fuck the system like doing a deal with Best Buy. And R is for Roadrunner, releasing a greatest hits record of Cold Chambers after three albums, which is pretty rich if you ask me. Benji, so thinking of Ozzy doing that Shock the Monkey song on Cold Chambers' second album, what are some other duos that you can recommend to our listeners? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question, Reese. because would I recommend Shock the Monkey in the first place? <laughs> would you recommend Cold Chamber to anyone? One of my very, very good friends that I had in college was a massive Cold Chamber fan. And he even had a Cold Chamber tattoo. And then he went on to be a fan of Devil Driver. And then he went on to do other things but you know i'd try my best not to throw anyone under the bus or speak ill of anyone so i'll keep my damn mouth shut but that's how i came into learning and discovering about cold chamber and that first cold chamber album is about it's four fucking songs and that's about it i've spent my hard-earned money on four fucking songs and that's about it (laughs) yes i preferred i preferred chamber music um, but yeah, that artwork is god awful. But then I believe Des was going out with the model on the front of that album at the time. Maybe he should have dated the Photoshop artist because they could have got some good fucking Photoshop. That is some year eight visual arts, graphic design, mid semester project. That is fucking rubbish. Even this album, the self titled album, the cover art is garbage. That font is bullshit. It just the background is garbage. It's shit. Yeah, I mean, the font for the actual title of Chamber Music is absolutely god-awful. But going back to your first question in the intro, uh, duets that I thought were quite good uh, in terms of new metal musicians. I really liked uh, Fear Factory and Gary Newman doing a cover of Cars, which helped Fear Factory blow up. I... uh, 
all well, we talk about Soulflight. Anything that Max Cavalera does pre well, everything from the self-titled first album, The Primitive, the duets he did there, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then having said that, uh, Chino and Max doing Head Up. You know, I actually really liked uh, Amy Lee and Seether doing Broken, just because it, every now and again you come across a song that you know is contrite. You know is just... I shouldn't really like this. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, not Dancing Queen, which is, in my view is the best pop song ever written, but it was one of those songs, Amy Lee and Seether, which you shouldn't like, but it just hooks in your head. So those are a couple of duets that I reckon are pretty good. The whole Aussie shock the monkey thing. That's because Sharon Osbourne was looking after Cold Chamber and she wielded some ungodly power at that point in time. I mean, at one point, wasn't she looking at managing Smashing Pumpkins and there was that feud between her and Billy Corgan? Yeah, I'm not sure too much about who she was managing. I know she was affiliated in some way with Smashing Pumpkins, but my the bigger question is, what the fuck did she see in Cold Chamber? Like, she got them on OzFest, I'm pretty sure, or she saw them at OzFest. It was something about OzFest. But what out of all those bands, why Cold Chamber? There's nothing to grab onto. They're they're mediocre. This album's like pacing is meandering at best. It, it's all this. Um, from a p- performer's point of view, I look at it and I think these are all illusions of energy and anger and, and stuff. But they're not quite there on the album. It kind of reeks of a band. Um, you know, their first time in the studio. I, I just, I don't know what she saw in the band that said, this is the one that I'm going to stick my name to and get them on a, you know, get my husband to appear on a track and help them tour the world. Can you see from a label's point of view, what the fuck, would would you sign them? They wouldn't even win a battle of the bands. Well, they were, they were part of the scene. You've got to understand that they're from California. They were playing places like the Roxy and Whiskey A Go-Go. Though, you know, Whiskey A Go-Go in particular has a history of, of breaking bands through. And, you know, if it wasn't Guns N' Roses, then it would have been, say, whatever grunge bands were coming out of California. Although we all know the best grunge bands came from the Pacific Northwest, but that's another podcast. Is that where Cedar are from? Uh, no, that's where Taproot are from. But the scene at the time... California, very popular, glitz and glamour. So maybe it was a fact that here's this band that are playing like the local dive bars, if you can call Whiskey Go Go a dive bar. And they're building up such a reputation and they look weird, which is saying something because I'm a six foot something, 150 kilogram, whatever kind of guy wearing a hoodie this morning. But uh, there was that kind of weird, edgy, uh, you know, he's wearing a fishnet top and they've got like, uh, he's got a mocker, which is a a tattoo around his chin, which he's not been done for cultural appropriation yet, might I add. And maybe just younger people gravitated towards it because Cold Chamber was about just, it seemed like very over-caffeinated, 
wearing those wristbands that are actually sherbet kind of sweets around that kind of aspect you know they tapped into kind of like a youngish kind of culture with use of viewfinders and stuff like that that maybe people that grew up and are now in adulthood remembered that kind of thing ice cream vans viewfinders jacks all of that kind of shit that appeared in the loco video and that's what made people gravitate to them and then sharon osborne took one look and went musically it might not be good but in terms of the image because now we're coming into the year two you know now we're coming into the year 2000 now we're coming into the fact that new metal has kind of broken away from the subculture that it was and is now finding itself as part of the mainstream culture it's appearing in hot topic it's about to appear on movie soundtracks a lot more Maybe it was the fact that Sharon Osbourne, from a business standpoint, saw that and thought, that's something that can be incredibly marketable. And it doesn't matter if the music's amazing. We can just pop out a couple of singles, their strongest work, people will pick it up. I mean, they were definitely a very popular live band. If you look at clips on YouTube... They were hugely popular in the local California scene. Well, I did watch some clips on YouTube, and they, like, Loco isn't a great intro song because it just sits there and floats there, and not in a good way, and they stand there awkwardly, and then Des holds on to that, you know, where he says, go, he lets it ring out for ages, and then he says it, but it kind of kills the momentum of the song. Yeah, you know? there's, there's moments where it feels like when they start with Loco, they don't know when they're meant to kick in. <laughs> like, duh, anytime you want to come in now, there's, yeah, yeah. there's ma still many waiting. videos where I saw Raina yeah. be like, oh shit, you know, and she, yeah, quickly turns and realizes they've started. Yeah. So I think maybe it was more of a, a marketing thing. That's not to say that Cold Chamber didn't have some good songs, but I think maybe we were enamored with Cold Chamber because of, of the look because they definitely had a distinctive look before, like, Head Planet Earth Orgy. and maybe Mushroom Head and Slipknot before Slipknot maybe properly came along. I think Cold Chamber are maybe, I mean, the Dave Matthews band of new metal in that they're super popular in America and they have a few fans around the place, but really their impact wasn't as felt for me in Australia. Cold Chamber's basically for goth chads. <laughs> yeah, Cold Chamber is for goth chads. You heard it here first. But on Dez, it's kind of interesting because I really like Devil Driver. And he's one of the only new metal musicians I can think of that has kind of gone heavier and deeper and darker in that if you, if you really look at it, so you've got Jonathan Davis kind of fucking around with EDM, uh, Fieldy yep. doing Still Well or Still Water or whatever, doing rock. But Corey Taylor's gone full Vegas rock. Manson has been cancelled, probably rightly so. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of stayed yeah, the same. Deftones has gone more prog. Brandon Boyd went Broadway. Papa Roach. They, well, they're touring Infest again. They, they, they cannot get over Last Resort. They refuse to. Uh, Lars, he just forgot how to drum. Like all these metal musicians and new metal musicians kind of just eased in. I mean, Max Cavalier is still doing Max tracks and he did killer be killed and all that sort of stuff but i think des has gone heavier almost as he gets older there was definitely moments in cold chambers back catalog where you could feel that des 
could pull off going heavier. Yeah. He's definitely got that kind of growl to his voice. It's like listen to listen to Loco or listen to Big Truck, especially the t- the lyrics where he sings basically the name of the song. And then it's like, oh shit, this is actually pretty brutal vocally. And all he's done with Devil Driver is gone, do you know what? I'm just going to focus on that kind of aspect of my vocal range. And I'm just going to make things a lot more heavier, a lot less kind of... I mean, a lot of people call them call Cold Chamber gothic metal or chamber metal, you yeah. know? Especially with chamber music, that whole Baroque kind of influence. Yeah. But, man, like... If I was to choose between Cold Chamber or Devil Driver, now I'm older, I definitely would choose Devil Driver, like, I'd say eight times out of ten. Those two times are just one for this podcast and another one for a bit of cheesy new metal fun. But it's incredible what he's capable of vocally when you listen to Devil Driver. But there were just kind of shades of it in Cold Chamber. He just wanted to keep it melodic. Well, he got better musicians, like in in the story, like they musicians who can play, who who can make their instruments sound good. Cold Chamber, I mean, the tension they talk about. Obviously, like they were fighting a lot. They would fight on stage, but I don't think it that tension really came through in their music as such. But I think Des kind of said some of the dudes were on uppers, like a bunch of MDMA and and shit, and he was on downers like weed and booze. And he's like, you just can't have a touring party on different levels, you know, different highs and stuff. Uh, he actually, there was a really interesting quote, I thought. It was kind of about enabling people. And he said that he realized every night that he was on stage with a microphone, you know, he was putting money into the drug-addicted dude's hands or pockets, uh, which led to putting drugs in their hands. And, yeah, he said, once we stopped going on stage as Cold Chamber, their money ran out, their fame ran out, and they eventually had to get clean. And I think that's when they got back together in, what, 2015? They came to Australia for Soundwave. I mean, fuck, they were just, a, uh, they, were, they were dysfunctional. You would always hear kind of like either them falling out or them beefing with people. I, I, you know, it kind of feels like maybe Dez was the grown up in that situation. But even he got to a point where he felt, I don't want to deal with this shit. If it wasn't kind of Meeg's getting into fights on stage with Dez for whatever reason... It was uh, Mike Bug Cox being a misogynist and claiming that Kitty had all their songs written for them by their dad. And that's a real fucking dick move, especially if you go back to the Kitty podcast where we spoke to Maeve and she was regaling us about the idea of, yeah, it was a very masculine fomachismo, as funny as that is, scene in the new metal scene that you would have hoped that bands would have looked at kitty and gone we we need to help this is female representation and instead the the drummer for a band which has one of the few female representations in the new metal scene completely slates them and says that they don't write their own music yeah that's a dick move i mean the more and more you think about it and i don't know if you felt that way when you went back to research this podcast the more and more you look back, the more you think, man, they were just fucking impetulant children at the end of it, weren't they? Just arguing and beefing on everyone because, I don't know, they're bored or on drugs. Well, they're, yeah, they're unhappy. But you know what? In my research, I did uncover that Des is now a day trader and he often talks stocks with Meigs. 
So um, just, oh, fuck, to be a fly on the wall, to hear Meigs ringing up Dez and being like, so is it is it buy, high, sell, low, or <laughs> so which one is it? But Dez is good, and yeah. he runs his own uh, label now, or like management, and it's called the Oracle Management. And would you like to play a game with me, Benji? Yes, I would love to play a game with you, Reese. On his roster, he's got many, many bands, and I'm going to ask you which one is not on his roster from these three. Okay. There's three rounds. Round one, Devon Townsend, Cradle of Filth, or the 69 Eyes. Which one is not on the Oracle Management roster? I don't think it's Cradle of Filth, because I know that they will, they're releasing something again very shortly. And 69 Eyes, I don't know. I, I want to say Devon Townsend. I, I'm probably wrong, but Devon Townsend definitely feels like a a band or an artist that Des can get involved in. So I'm going to throw my hat into the hoop and say Devon Townsend. Wait, do you think the game is they are on the roster or they aren't? Oh, they're not. Cradle of Filth. Oh, no, you're wrong. Devon Townsend was not on the oh, roster. Oh, you fucker! Oh! Sorry if God, I didn't explain man. that well. I talked myself out of it. <laughs> yeah, man, trust your gut. He knew, he knew, he knew better. He knew better. All right, so it's who's not on yeah, the label. Yeah. Okay, so Cradle two. of Filth and 69 Eyes Out. One of my favorite Cradle of Filth stories is that they were having their, um, they were like filming a DVD, and so they had a tour crew follow them around on tour, and allegedly one of the members kept disappearing, and like just wasn't in the documentary. And the director went up to him and was like, why Why do you keep disappearing? Don't you want to be filmed? He's like, oh, I don't want my mum to know I smoke, so I go around the corner to smoke his ciggy. This is a guy who produces Jesus is a Cunt t-shirts. <laughs> and he's like, mama can't know I'm on the Winnie Reds. <laughs> oh, I've not seen a pack of Winnie Reds in ages, mate. I reckon he was on the bloody Holborn rolling backy, mate. That's why I reckon he was on. Wednesday 13, Powerman 5000 or All Hail the Yeti? Powerman 5000. Why do you say that? Because I don't know. I think they know better. <laughs> you are right. You're right. Well done, man. This is the tiebreaker. This will test you. The Oracle Management, do they have American Head Charge, Devil Driver, Soldiers of Destruction? Which one is not on their roster? Devil Driver. Devil Driver not on the Oracle Management run by Dez. Yeah. What? What? What logic? For what reason? Because yeah. you don't shit in your own back garden. And I don't know how long their deal is with uh, Roadrunner Records. I'll tell you what. Des shits. Des shits in his garden. It was American Head Charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss American Head Charge as well. They had one good song, much like Cold Chamber. What's the good Cold Chamber song? Oh, Big Truck. All right, let's get into it. Let's get to the part of the podcast people want. And that's stories about me just being a fucking idiot. And the worst thing about these stories about me being a fucking idiot is that I've still got it in me. Like, I haven't fully, I haven't grown out of it as much as I would like to admit, you know, as much as I think, you know. Given the opportunity again, I would probably make all these same mistakes. So, my first band were playing um, some fucking hall. You know how you're always just playing halls when you're 15? You're just always in halls. Um... We'll get to the story of when I played Chop Suey and I threw out my drumsticks and played with glow sticks. But for some reason, I had <laughs> I had, I had uh, two snares. And I don't know why I did that. But then, I was playing with two snares and I thought it was really cool. I got a third snare 
and I turned that snare upside down. And Benji, why do you think I would turn a snare upside down? I don't know, because you're a cockhead. <laughs> why did you turn that upside down? Well, I I think you're kind of right. <laughs> yeah, I thought it's been known to happen. I can't actually say the words. Why did why why did you why did you turn it upside down? So I can't say it out loud. Um, I've never admitted this to myself. You want to whisper it instead? So I could drag my stick up and down the actual snare part and sound like a DJ. And so we mic'd it up. Oh, man, please please tell me you're the kind of guy that also, every now and again when you were younger, or even you could still do it now, Reese. I don't know, you you zip up your jacket and you go, oh, and you go, zip, 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 and you're like, yeah, DJ Lethal. Because I still do that. Way more often than you'd like to admit. I also do a thing sometimes, which I'm sure there are people out there listening that do the same thing. I've got an electric toothbrush, and when I'm brushing my teeth and I open my mouth, it makes that... Wow. And I pretend that I'm doing the intro to New Skin by Incubus. Or Redefine, sorry. New Skin is when I'm on the jacket. Redefine <laughs> is when I'm on the electric toothbrush. All you need is some symbols between your knees and you're in the next Mary Poppins. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Benji Van Dyke. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so, so it was one of the first times where I reckon... <laughs> I met a musician who was clearly above our level because our bass player just didn't show up. And so we yeah. went to another guy and said, can you play Big Truck by Cold Chamber? He's like, I've never heard it. So somehow we played to him and I reckon he got like 10 seconds in. He's like, I've got it. And I was like, what? How could you figure it out that early? He's like, there's nothing going on, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I really thought this was a huge song. I thought this was like, yeah, Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> Great 90s reference, by the way, Mr. When are we gonna do? Uh, when are we gonna do a boys to men? April Fool's Day, I reckon. I I still claim that a boys to men with Mariah Carey is one of the um, greatest duets. Oh, speaking of duets, how could you skip? I reckon the best one. Aaron Lewis, Fred Durst. You know it. Oh no, I've had enough of Fred Durst. I've had my fill. If you check out the Abaccio uh, Death Trip Instagram. There is an Instagram, by the way. I'm getting tired of all the Limp Biscuit memes that you're putting up as well. So, I get it. Have you seen the Valentine's Day memes? Which is like, I take a chainsaw, <laughs> but I won't skin your ass raw. Happy Valentine's Day. Fred Durst. Ah, she's grabbing my balls! <laughs> <laughs> if I yeah, it is Valentine's Day. You should check that out, man. I was Where was your Valentine's Day card to me? Dog rat. Uh, there's a time difference, so you're just a few hours behind. So I'll get uh, you'll be getting yours <laughs> soon. Uh, no, but the stained. Uh, sorry, Aaron Lewis, Fred Durst outside is when you kind of realise that Fred Durst is just saying, "I'm feeling those lighters, y'all," and Aaron Lewis is doing all the work. Fred Durst has heard him in the back going, "Hey, you want to play? Come outside. Well, you know, we'll, we'll come on the stage. We'll play this song. You can sit down. It'd be really cool." It's like, what are you doing here, Fred? It's like, well, who else is going to feel the lighters? Like, I, I'm here to Yeah, exactly. To point who you else out. is going to tell people this is the real motherfucking deal, y'all? <laughs> yeah. That he was there out as a celebrity endorsement, much like Sharon Osbourne might have been a celebrity endorsement for Coal Chamber. Ah. True. Yeah, well, that that's kind of my, my feeling with Ozzy Osbourne because I'm young, younger than you, and I was born in Australia. I think Ozzy... You know, in, in the UK, obviously, huge. But when I kind of became aware of him, he was just looking for the TV remote and yelling at his son. And then his daughter sung Papa Don't Preach. So I 
that's kind of my first. And then I read his book and realized like he snorted ants, and for some reason that made him cool. I don't know. I did buy tickets to Download Fest to see Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, I think it was Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. Um, but he pulled out last minute, which was a bit of a bummer. But Slayer headlined. And then I realized Slayer only have about eight songs. Um, and, and it's all the same riff anyway. Uh, when I saw Slayer at Download over here, it, it must have been the same lineup because they played the same day as System of a Down and Black Sabbath. And you know what? People might mock Ozzy. Fucking dude is definitely a performer when he's on stage. I, I, you gotta give him that. He was incredible, like jumping up and down, you know, making sure that everybody was having a good time. But I've, it was the first time I saw Slayer live, and I thought these mosh pits are gonna be absolutely brutal. But they were nothing compared to System of a Down mosh pits, man. Those System ones were absolutely ankle breaking, man. Not as bad as the Kill Switch Engage mosh pit where a friend of mine brought his little brother along and wanted a photo of Kill Switch Engage. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll march up. And there was a circle pit going on. And I was like, okay, just a little closer. And whoop, I got whipped by the fucking circle pit and got mauled. How many snares did uh, Kill Switch Engage play with? 18. <laughs> How many were upside down? 17. So 17 DJs on stage. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, 17 DJs in the way that Reese believes DJs conduct themselves. Can you imagine being the sound guy and there's like, you know, 16 year old kids like, mic this up. And he's like, why? I'm like, mic it up because you'll see in the third song. I'll teach you all. I think outside the box. My name is Reese. When I color things in, I color outside the lines. No one's going to tarnish my creative flair. No one at all. If I want to play a drum kit, if I want to play a drum set upside down and use it as like one of those wooden blocks that you'd run a bloody, you know, stick across, then I will do. If I want to use it as a washboard, I will do because I'm Reese, my creative flair. Did it work? You didn't answer that question though. For what you were setting out and attempting to do with an upside down snare drum, did it actually work? <laughs> um, I don't. I think when you're at that age, you don't often have an end goal. Like, I was just like, this cool. No, 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 no. This is the journalist in me coming out now. Did it or did it not work? I would say no, because no one makes fun of me for it. No one remembers it in, in good or bad, you know? I still remember... So it's, there's the, it's that embarrassing that no one dare brings it up, you know? It's like, hey, remember that time that, you know, such and such shat himself on the bus? Like, we don't talk about that. He's gone through, like, years of therapy. So it's a kind of... We don't talk about Reese playing the snare drum upside down. Yeah, this album really brought up some fucking horrible memories. Thinking he's for Uncle Cracker. I hate A Mirror of the Desert, and I was thinking about A Mirror of the Desert where it's just like a joke track. And I was like, this is a band who wants to show, hey, we're a bit funny, we're a bit zany, we're good friends, we hang out. But we don't have Instagram, we don't have Facebook, we don't have Twitter, we don't have Parlor. So how are we going to get our, that out? Oh, we'll just put a silly track on there. That's what we have to do. Do you know the song I'm talking about? I don't want to talk about it. I think it almost tarnishes the entire album. Well, why would they put it on? Filler. It's got to be filler. Or it's got to be one of those, you know, hey, we're Cold Chamber. We're kind of zany. We've got viewfinders and an ice cream truck. And uh, we're, we're kind of like riffing on a pre-Y2K Tim Burton fluoro kind of vibe, you know? Hey, we wear fishnet stockings on our arms as well because, you know, we're zany. Let's put on a, a track uh, about circumcision called A Mirror of the Desert. 
Oh, it is about circumcision too. Oh, yeah, my God. yeah. He I it. am a mare from the desert. Coming too much power, gonna circumcise you. Oh, like, why? Dumb. Now, I don't think they would have that track if they had Instagram. If, if, if every individual member had an Instagram account, they wouldn't need that track out there. Their personalities would already be well represented. But I mean, it was it was forty four seconds as well, and they made a concerted effort to have you know why? It was a forty four second song. It was it them trying to do a skit? Because if it was a skit in terms of how hip hop artists include skits in their albums, you know, I'm thinking Dre two thousand and one, uh, Eminem, Marshall. Legally, Mathers, all Elvis, skits have to be called Paul. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Paul Rosenborg. I think he, he looks after every hip-hop artist, right? Everyone ever known to man. But if it was Cold Chamber trying to get into the whole skit kind of thing, why have it as the 12th track on a 14-track album? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just, it, again, like I said, it kind of taints the rest of the album. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Which is saying something. I want to get to... um. A point about how I realized I was a real basic bitch because of this album just recently. And then I want to get to a really deep conversation. So let's let's start a bit lighthearted. Okay. I, I recently bought these like a bit fancy running wireless earbuds. Yeah? Yeah. And they, the app is fucking amazing. And it's got this, we'll customize the EQ to your ears. And it's like, you know, drag the slider up when you hear this frequency. Drag the slider up when you hear this frequency. And it's customized to your ears. And I was like, yep. oh my God, this... And it, of course, Cold Chamber Self-Titled was the first album I listened to. And I was like, this sounds incredible. This is this is exactly how my ears need to hear things. This is the future. This is the present. This is everything I've ever wanted. And then I found the just stock standard bass default setting. And I hit that. It was even better. They're fucking yep. basic algorithm for like dumb cunts needing bass is way better than my finely tuned manicured sound that I designed for my own ears. That is, yeah. I, when I was running, it's like, this album actually sounds pretty decent, I think, um, in p- those headphones, but not when I listen through my car or the computer or whatever else. Uh, I just, it was a heartbreaking moment to realize, like, I'm a default boy. Even on, like, if I'm playing any video game, I don't change the clothes. Anything cosmetic, I don't do. Cyberpunk was everyone, everyone was like, you get to design yourself. I'm like, I hate that. I always just go, random, default, let's go. You get to decide how big your penis is. You you played Cyberpunk. Is that true? Did you do it? No, it, it is. It's true. You get to design, like, it fully customizable, quote unquote, includes not just uh, skin color, haircuts, what you want shaved in your head, what kind of cybernetic transhuman implants you want, but also how thick of a penis that you want to have. Uh, it broke my heart, man, because that was, just on a side note, that was one of the few times I paid full buck for a video game. I normally I pick something up on bargains because I don't have the best financial circumstances. But it broke my heart because I really wanted to like the game and I did, but paying top dollar for something that's broken just doesn't make sense. So, but yeah, um, it was incredibly customizable. Do you, you, it would have been lost on you. It would have been like, doing online mode in Grand Theft Auto 5. Yeah, I hate that it's shit. It's like, but Reese, you can do all of this stuff. It's like, nah, 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 I just want to be a bog standard bloke. Just an everyman, mate. Just, you know, go to Bondi Beach, have a barbecue every now and again, get in the Hilux, come back. I don't like beaches and I don't like barbecues that much. I actually hate beaches. I don't know what you do on beaches. I'm probably, 
close. Like I'm very aligned with Cold Chamber and their their stance on beaches. I can't imagine, you know, Meigs on a beach. But if you're hard up for cash, man, just read a shout to Des. He'll give you some, you know, day trading tips. I reckon. He'll just tell me to go GameStop oh, and AMC. I do have AMC. I did get it. I'm on board. Diamond hands. Oh, my God. Um, so here's what I really want to talk about. And this is a quote that I've been thinking about quite a lot. And uh, yeah. so Des, he's in very recent interview, he was despairing on, you know, the, the state of the world, storming the capital, stop the steel bullshit, um, grifters going to grift, the COVID pandemic, the mishandling of that, racial tension, all that sort of stuff. And he says, so what's important in life? And this is a bit long, so I, I do apologize. Okay. So what's important in life? I'll tell you what, your parents, your family, your pets, your girlfriend, your closest friends, nothing else means shit. And it made me come to a realization. I have an entirely new view on life. Why have I been running so hard? What have I been trying to achieve? I missed one of my kids' graduation and, and it haunts me, to, oh, and it will haunt me for the rest of my life because what... Because I was in some shitty club in Idaho. Now I look back, I'm never doing that again. I say to younger musicians, take stock and don't run so hard. Now, end quote. Don't you need to push hard and make those sacrifices so you can be in a position to have those realizations later down the road? But I think that at that point in time, I mean, when did Cold Chamber first start really... um getting their shit together. I think it would have been 1994 when yep. Dina Cazares caught them at the Roxy or the Whiskey Go Go. Uh, was Dino sort of um, a catalyst? I think Dino was, uh, Dino was uh, influential to them getting picked up by Roadrunner Records. So I've read Wikipedia citations needed. But I think around that time, I mean, this is going to get pretty deep, so maybe we should have a, a note on the actual podcast info about if, if you don't want to hear about deep and meaningful political, social kind of, if you don't want to hear about kind of like deep and meaningful shit, skip to this part. But I think that musicians these days don't have to contend with half of the shit that musicians contended with and kind of like, Everything pre maybe 2010, 2012. I mean, for as much as we think that abuse of power, the toxicity within kind of uh, music scenes, be it calling out other bands, be it management, marketing, everything like that, you know, uh, telling a band what they have to do. It's only recently, very recently, has it felt like being a musician, it's now a safer space to be in than perhaps being a musician around the time of Cold Chamber and maybe further back from that and maybe even not too far behind from where we are today, Reese. So for him to talk about those aspects, yeah, I get where he's coming from because it is... How far are you willing to compromise yourself, your beliefs? How how far are you willing to sell out, for lack of a better term, um, your own sensibilities in order to make it in the music industry? Now, from the sounds of what that quote that you gave us from Des, fuck, man, perhaps he was involved in things that he's not proud of. Perhaps it's the case where 
you know, he forced himself, he missed out all of these key things because he felt that that's what I had to do to be a successful musician. And yeah, Cold Chamber were successful. They were popular. But at what cost, you know? I mean, we're looking back, ridiculing Cold Chamber and loving Devil Driver and perhaps with Devil Driver. I mean, you mentioned he's got his own management company, so he's probably got a bit more kind of uh, foresight, a bit yeah. more kind he's of got some knowledge and what to do. Absolutely. So that statement, I think, is from a time, from a place, which is an easy way to just dismiss how absolutely fucking disgusting and dirty and muddy and shitty and toxic music the music industry can be management can be uh scenes can be and i think i mean it's good advice but i'd like to think that we're in a safer space now for musicians where it's not a case of well i'm gonna do this for you what are you gonna do for me but shit man like only earlier this year in New Zealand there were two cases of high profile managers, one for Lord and another one for CRS management one of which I've sat down and had coffee with as well, might I add they've come out and been accused of uh, and they've had to accept it uh, abusive, toxic behaviour so whatever whatever Des has gone through I think that still to this day, it's still sage advice. And it is the case of, well, you don't have to completely compromise yourself. You don't have to compromise your music. You don't have to be involved in toxic environments to be a successful musician these days. It's just, yeah, it, it really sucks to hear that Des had to go through that kind of stuff. And it probably does explain why he's walked away from Cold Chamber not once, not twice, but three goddamn times in their history. Because if he doesn't want to put up with that shit, if he's got better things to do, like have a family, then fuck, man, more power to him. Absolutely more power to him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you, you don't want to enable those friends. So you're like, look, and I, I've had I've had these feelings quite a lot, and I have leant towards, like, I'm like, I've got everything I want in my house. I've got, you know, a wife the world's greatest cat, all the music I want to hear, all the, the rum yeah. I might want. You know, I've got everything I need there and I'm stuck watching this fucking band soundcheck Beck's loser 13 fucking times. <laughs> I actually think this is more recent and I think he's talking about Devil Driver here. And I still kind of think a lot of the time regret is great because it means you've grown and you've made some choices and you've reflected. To live without grit is to live in Papa Roach and be like, Infest was the greatest thing in the world. You know, it. Yeah. you need to look back and be like, oh, you kind of need to shudder. Everyone's got their, you know, third snare upside down moment. They don't need a podcast to, to sort of go through it. But you make those decisions along the way and then you look back and go, they were the wrong ones, but only because you're now in a position to be able to look back, you know. And there's no guarantee yeah. if he was like, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to go work a data entry job. You're just in a shitty cubicle as opposed to a shitty club in Idaho. And you probably miss out on parentage interviews and other things anyway. You know, you can't be present at every event and you still have responsibilities outside of the, the offspring that you've had. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think it's very, very, very easy to forget how you got to a place. All the help you had along the way. I think Toby Morris, uh, a great New Zealand comic or great New Zealand artist, he's done a great piece on this... Um, where it's just like you forget all the little pieces that and people that 
have helped you along the way and you just think you got there yourself. And I sometimes think that as well. And I'm like, wait a minute, I benefited from free education. My dad was in the Navy, so I had veterans affairs. So I had money. I didn't have to rely on, you know, Centrelink or anything like that. My, my dad got me my first job in a Mexican restaurant. Like, but I'm like, oh, I worked when I was 14 and no one else did. But it's like, no, but how did you get that job? I think it's easy to forget how you got to where you are currently. Yeah. But uh, but also it's kind of dismissive. Maybe that fucking shitty club in Idaho is like the greatest place for that community and it's the only place for people to go for music. And maybe the owner or the manager or the booker, that's where they're cutting their teeth or that's their place that they've worked for years to get. And this is their like their their pride and joy. And then you've got the guy from Cold Chamber, Devil Driver, going, it's a fucking shitty club and I wish I was with my family. It's like, you don't have to mention it's a shitty club. Just say you wished you were with your family. You could have been playing the fucking... Yeah. You know, Super Bowl halftime show, and, and you know, if you missed your son's graduation, maybe you still would regret have the similar feelings. You know, I don't know. We all make sacrifices, and I just think you get to make that call now because you're in a position through all, all the hard yards. You know, and you can't dismiss. You yeah. can't tell other people not to do the hard yards because that's got you to a position where people will now listen to you. Across the number of podcasts that we've done. The last two, this one and the one prior, the Kitty one. We've really delved into some pretty heavy things. I mean, initially we were meant to be just talking about dumb shit that we did in our lives around the release of these albums, but I think it's kind of hard not to avoid when you're delving back, just looking at maybe the societal uh, situations uh, regarding these things. I mean, when we go into Glassjaw, I mean, that's going to be a pretty heavy one as well. Um, but yeah, this is this has been quite a... Where's the levity? Come on, Reese, tell a dick joke, quick. <laughs> what the fuck is with new metal bands loving, like, to add backing tracks of just them laughing? Or, like, that, like, that feigned, like, Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker, like, I'm going to laugh, I'm going to scream, you know, and, like, yeah. <laughs> disturbed fucking do it cold chamber this my, my my running headphones base default basic bitch settings revealed this layer of des just giggling half the time it's like is this meant to be like scary or creepy or carnival-esque like are we talking american horror story season like three or whatever it was what what what, what vibe are you going for is it like you're unhinged what, what, what are we doing here i think it is the unhinged especially with disturbed i think it's the kind of storytelling that uh, David Draymond goes for, there needs to be an element of kind of, I'm a madman. I mean, he used to come out on stage in an in a electric chair, did he not? And the start of a Disturbed concert was him getting electrocuted on stage. <laughs> Fuck, take so that, Ellis Cooper. So he's a madman, he's crazy. He's Horace Pinker from the Wes Craven horror movie Shocker. Man, I really think I slipped through a portal because I went, I got on a plane from Melbourne to Hong Kong to Tianjin like six months later, I was deported and I like, came back because I was on a fake visa. Didn't know that. And all of a sudden, I see these posters for disturbed at arenas. And I was still like, no, these aren't the arena boys. These are the <laughs> yeah. I, I guys. And like, nah, they cover Sound of Silence now. And I was like, what? When did this happen? And they're like, oh, you, sh- you need to check it out. Fuck, it's a good cover. I'm not going to lie to you, man. It's a very good cover. Uh, I agree to disagree on that one. Um, but I, I haven't heard Taproot's version of it either, you know. Um, maybe Taproot do a great version of Cecilia. I don't know. I was thinking of a regurgitator when they did a version. 
That's the only Aussie band coming into my mind that's not Silverchair at the minute. <laughs> or Midnight Oil. You do love a Silverchair reference. I like a Drumhalla reference. Oh, deep cut. Well, Drumhalla linked sort of to Jurassic Park. Can we talk about okay. movies and get to soundtracks? Because I want to finish on this. Can we talk about Jurassic Park in a cold chamber? No, I'm, I'm going to Scream Podcast. 3. Scream 3. Oh, you're fucking mad. Yeah. This soundtrack is really interesting because you think it would be a fucking hit. And I made fake IDs on Paint Shop Pro to get into Scream 3. And I had a, a grift, um, and one of my earliest grifts, but I was a real grifter growing up, a constant grifter because we kind of grew up poor, but I, I had some nous and I had some tenacity. Um, oh, man, I mean, you knew you knew your way around Microsoft front page, man. Leave it at that. Bro, front, front page 98, you want a Cartman joke book? I'll do it. Yeah, man. But your fake IDs that you made on Paint Shop Pro. Yeah, Paint Shop Pro. Um, made them for all the people. I laminated them uh, at school. Somehow I got like one of the teacher aides to laminate them for me. Um, they looked okay. They were blurry as shit. Like, they were so bad. But I got all my friends into Scream 3. Not the greatest movie. Fuck, I love Scream, though. Yeah, no, it's a good. And then they didn't need to make a third one or a fourth one no. or a TV show or a... I don't know, actually. I'm kind of looking forward to what the new Scream's going to be like. The TV show was uh, not great, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. But there was a newer TV show. Oh, my God. the One of the worst things I've ever seen. But get this. This soundtrack sounds like it, it would be incredible. And maybe for the generate or the years under us, this is their straight up or this is their Queen of the Damned. But look at this. Static X, so real. Actually, let's let's play another game. Yeah. I'm going to say a, a band, and you tell me what song it would be. Because it, it's just, I think it's too obvious. System of a Down. Uh, spiders. 100%. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't get Finger 11. Slipknot. Uh, it'd be Wait and Believe, won't it? You are 100% correct. Well done. Cold Chamber? That would have been around chamber music era, wouldn't it? So, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be El Kukoi. They made a big deal about Tyler's song, so I'm gonna say Tyler's song. Yeah, it, it could. I should have been fiend. Yeah. Orgy. Dissension. Bro, I I just clicked onto what you're doing, <laughs> you piece of shit. I had the fucking album. That's why, man. Oh, man. I had that album. I like the Scream Two soundtrack a lot more because it had uh, Foo Fighters and it also had. It was it was good. It was a mix of bands that were up and coming along with bands that had broken through. This one just looks like... Scream 2 didn't... Is that the one that had like a Cottonmouth Kings or something on it? Scream 2 had Dear Lover by Foo Fighters, which is why I kind of gravitated towards it. Let's see if I can bring it up. But I look at the track listing for Scream 3, you know, and it was... At that point, new metal was like the king or queen. It was like the royal music genre that had just infiltrated. It was basically our version of grunge, how I can imagine yeah. grunge blew up. Yeah. I'm looking at that soundtrack for Scream 3. You could look at that, and then you could look at the soundtrack for fucking Freddy versus Jason and go, <laughs> What's, what is the real difference? Scream 2 soundtrack had John Spencer's Blues Explosion, Foo Fighters, D'Angelo, which is a pretty nifty call, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Red Right Hand, which and was that's on, on every, every fucking track, yeah. yeah. Oh, every album, and, sorry. And then, like, shit, John Spencer Blues Explosion, and, you know, for the 
College Chads, Dave Matthews Band. Oh, the Cold not, Chamber of not, Alt Rock. Not, yeah, not not Ants Marching, which is a banger. Boom. I've just looked it up. They did have Cottonmouth no, 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 no. Kings. They they did. And they had Prince. Jeez, that would have yeah. cost a pretty penny. Prince was the writer for She's Always In My Hair. It was D'Angelo. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Bit, a bit of R&B that Everclear. Less than Jake. Fuck, that was a way better. But maybe maybe in like three years, there'll be a podcast very similar to ours. Uh, and there already are many. But they people just losing their mind over the Scream 3 soundtrack. And maybe this was a hook for a lot of kids. But I don't know. The third in a trilogy, maybe it doesn't have the same Im- impact as, you know, the first. But they did a f- they did a fourth one and it looks pretty shit, but you know, everything's subjective. Yeah, I feel like it's it's the times like when when my band got asked to add a track to a se- uh, not soundtrack to a compilation, you're always just like fucking this one's top of the downloads folder. There you go. Like it was just like they've gone to Roadrunner and they're like, oh fucking, here's Wait and Bleed, dickheads, fuck off. Roadrunner Records releasing a greatest hits of Cold Chamber after three albums when all they really had was. Bradley <laughs> and fucking demos made but you forget but they did the same shit with Fear Factory when they released the it's one of those well contractually you're obligated to give us four albums uh, and if you listen to Burton C. Bell do interviews he's not a big fan of the guy that was running Roadrunner Records at the time and they had the falling out they did but they did what was it through Roadrunner Records? It went Soul of a New Machine. It went then. I'm probably getting everything confused, but they they did their run with, uh, Roadrunner Records and they left, but they were obliged to release another album, but they didn't want to because, again, I don't know what it is with Roadrunner Records and bands, but. They start off with all this vim and vigor, and they end up just completely dysfunctional. Fuck knows what's in the water at Roadrunner Records. Sepultura, Cold Chamber. There was a period we thought it was going to happen with Slipknot, Fear Factory. But there was a whole bunch of like demos and unreleased stuff and remixes because Fear Factory was the band du jour when it came to industrial artists remixing their shit. And so Roadrunner Records put out, I think it's called Digifiles. Oh no, Hate Files. Hate Files. Because oh, we just we just need to we need to get some more blood out of the stone. And you've got a contract and you you have to we're releasing it. You've got no say. Contractually you're obligated to release another album. And yeah, they did the same for Coal Chamber, but didn't Coal Chamber basically say, please don't buy this. Just just steal it, just download it from like Napster or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, man, it was, it was. I had no idea about that. I thought it was. I remember System the case doing that. Where, because uh, that was around the time that was after Dark Days, wasn't it? The best of. So that was when they were at their lowest ebb when it came to getting along. Yes. And so contractually they were obliged to release a fourth album and they couldn't and so roadrunner went well you know what we're gonna do we're gonna repackage some shit and make a best of i mean the same thing happened with radiohead and capital didn't it when radiohead decided they were gonna leave capital and then capital were like but 
we kind of own all the copyrights and the masters to this, so we're just going to release a best of. They did it with the Vines as well. Now, I love the Vines, man, but was it like three albums and then we got a best of Vines album? Like, greatest hits? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or Ride, periodically here and then. Ride remixed by Daniel Johns. It was just get free over and over again. No, absolutely not. I'll tell you what, just start a band with three snares, one upside down. No label wants to fuck with you. That's living off the grid. You, you don't have to sell your soul. But Reese, that's not music, my friend. That's art. <laughs> that's cutting edge. You know what? I'm surprised. I feel better after getting this off my chest, but I'm also surprised. I thought you would be more down on this album, but you seem quite you know, upbeat about it. I think you, you've made your peace with this album and you know where it fits into your heart. I just don't think it's aged well. And I think it's one of those, it's one of those albums where it's defined by two singles, maybe three singles, rather than the album as a whole being solid. You know, um, Loco, Sway, Big Truck, um, those are the big three that I I always go back to on the album. I again, I listen to chamber music despite the hideous kind of clip art effects for the album oh, cover fucking get a graphic i listen i i listen to that a little bit more than i listen to the first one it's the it's the thing where you grow out of something and it's the sad realization of growing up is something that you used to get great enjoyment from you now look back and go ah actually i've kind of outgrown that you know, it's. I had a friend who, my mum and his mum, they were in the same hospital when we were born. When we were young, we used to get along and everything like that. Uh, and then I moved over to New Zealand when I was three. And then, uh, you know, whenever we'd come back on holiday to England, we'd visit them, we'd get along, me and this guy. And then the guy decided that, oh, I'm on holiday in Australia with my family. I thought I'd pop over to New Zealand and see how you are. And I was like excited, like, oh man, I've not seen this guy in ages. And it's that really kind of sad moment when you go, we've got nothing in common anymore. And we are just two very different people at two very different parts in our lives. Now, you know, it's like a tree and it's my, um, my branch is going in this direction. Your branch is going in a completely different direction. And it's sad, but you realize that sometimes you just grow apart from something. Oh, for sure. The Cold Chamber's first album is something I've grown apart from. What, if, what about the movie? Uh, is it Fluke? Flake? Fluke. Yeah. Can you just quickly, in like two senses, quickly talk about that movie for me? Because you were talking about it in the WhatsApp group the other day, and I had no idea what the fuck you were talking about. What, Fluke? Yeah. Fluke's a movie about a dog that realizes that it's a reincarnated human being and is trying to piece together what happened to his life. And then he manages to piece together that he believes his best friend killed him in a car crash in order to become closer to his family. Uh, And so the whole thing is basically this dog recollecting its previous human life while reconciling with the fact that, you know... I'm a different person now. Well, I'm a I'm a different species altogether. And spoiler alert, he 
it does reconcile with that idea and lets his family get on with their lives and mourn him and he just gets on with his new life as a dog and I see what you did there Reese. there's an allegory there to exactly what we're talking about regarding people growing apart well stop right there Benji because the good people at Fluke must have heard you and they've decided to sponsor the show <laughs> You've never met a dog like Fluke. Did you know that the dog that played Air Bud was the puppy version of Fluke? He's making new friends. It's nothing like Milo and Otis. Coming of age. I don't know if this is a kid's movie, you know. And searching for a family. So it didn't have nice fucking model or him grabbing his crotch or doing the wanker sign, so... The wanker signs, the wanker signs. I think he likes us. Can't we keep him? He can stay on one condition. He has to have a bath. The wanker signs. MGM Pictures invites you. Fluke, did you escape from a circus? To share a magical friendship. Hey, my dad used to do Otis wasn't a patriot, but Otis actually believed in QAnon. Experience an incredible adventure. Have a truck. What are you doing? The wanker signs and come along on his unforgettable journey. That dog's letting the animals free. Where his biggest discovery awaits. I was dreaming and Fluke spoke to me. Hello? Was anybody there? Matthew Modine. <laughs> Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. Nancy Travis. And Eric Stoltz. Post-pulp fiction Eric Stoltz. Fluke. Follow him home this summer. Huge thanks to Fluke Incorporated for sponsoring this week's episode of Baccio Death Trip. Yeah, I mean, who who was that providing the alternative commentary? Because I, I think that guy really, really needs to sort his shit out. No wonder why it's been two weeks. You've been painstakingly working on that one, haven't you, Reese? Sadly, it took me six seconds and I, I, uh, I regret it. I should have compressed it. I do maintain that that Milo wasn't a patriot. He was just a QAnon conspiracy theorist. Though I, I, I live and I die on that hill. <laughs> the best thing is that due to the time difference, I get up at five a.m. most days, and there's a message from you because it's like six p.m. where you are, and this is how I start my day. This sets the tone for my day. You know they say like, don't look at your phone for the first hour hour because that you know tells your brain to keep checking your phone all the time. I really have to stop listening to you <laughs> ramble about, you know, early 90s Disney movies that break your heart, you know, rambling on about movies. I have no, I had never even seen or heard about it. No one really has. It just went under the radar, and I still think it's a fucking great movie. Matthew Modine. I don't under... What, what, what was my reference to the wanker sign, though? I don't recall saying that. <laughs> I can't remember. I did this so long ago that... Uh, I have no no memory. And just like I wish I had no memory of listening to the Cold Chamber album, and I'll probably never listen to them again, but I will listen to Devil Driver. Um, come back next week because we'll be talking about some fucking album. God knows what. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. They'll, they come up in batches. You can just binge listen to this. Uh, I need to figure out what I, well, who the sponsor is. Oh, nearly broke the fourth wall then. Shit. Right, everyone, thanks so much for getting this far. That is gold medal effort, and we'll see you definitely next week um, for some more Butcho Death Trip. Wanker sign.